Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to come together and study your word. We're thankful for those who have come out and uh, shared their time with us. And Lord, we pray for those who may be joining us by conference as well. Uh, we pray for traveling mercies for those who are still arriving and ask that your spirit will teach us. Lord, you have told us in your word that the true worshipers of God will worship in spirit and in truth. So Lord, we come uh, filled with the spirit, uh, ready to learn your word. We thank you for the promises that are in the word and have assured us that we do have our salvation and that we will be richly rewarded for diligently seeking you out. So we thank you, Father, and as we approach this subject tonight, give us wisdom uh, to understand the topic ahead of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we are discussing the gifts. The gifts. This is the topic uh, everybody's been uh, thinking about and uh, trying to sort out. I think after four lessons of the gifts, we are about ready to close out this whole topic of spiritual gifts. And of course, we've been following along what Paul's uh, uh, outline happens to be here in 1 Corinthians. And that has led us all the way down to chapter 14 and verse 20 and 21. Actually, 21. But I will reiterate verse 20 again because it's important. So that's where we're going to begin in 1 Corinthians 14. But you know what? Maybe that's not where we should begin. We might have to do a little backtrack. And that's where we'll, we'll start uh, with uh, a question that uh, someone asked last week about praying in tongues. Praying in tongues. And we want to at least cover that point to see what uh, the Scripture has to say about that. Because even though I think... You know, the text answered it last week. I'm not sure in the minds of everybody that it has been answered. So I want to be sure. That, and, and I know where, where the question comes from because many people, and I've heard this myself, will say that um, they pray in their prayer language to God or, you know, they can speak to God privately in their heart and in tongues. And, I, you know, that's really where the question comes from. So, the scriptures that we have addressed so far do not deal with private prayer to God. Uh, it is public. It is public worship that is addressed. And even though that is the case, many have taken these scriptures in 1 Corinthians 14 and applied them, applied them to private prayer or some kind of private prayer life that you know you go before God. Now, let's say... Since we haven't covered the full understanding of the purpose of tongues, which we will get to tonight. But let's just say from where we are in the text that um, suppose, suppose that were a valid uh, form of prayer. You go home in your prayer closet or whatever and you pray to the Lord in tongues. Well, um, first of all, there's no warrant at all in the scriptures for you doing that. Why would you do that? When there's, first of all, there's no example in the scripture of anybody doing that. There's no warrant anywhere commanding us to do that. So you have to ask yourself, why would you do that? For what purpose would you do such a thing? Now, I know there are scriptures that people use to say that they should do that. But as I pointed out in 1 Corinthians 14, it is all about public prayer, public worship. So... If you tried to take some scripture from 1 Corinthians 14 and apply it to that, you would be taking it out of context. You would be trying to, to apply it to something it does not apply to. But there is a verse that we need to cover before we go to 1 Corinthians 14. That people, Another verse that people have taken to uh, say that this is their private prayer, you know. And I want to turn to it. It's in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And it is in verse 26. We'll begin there. And if you have your Bible, maybe you should turn there. Many times people cite verses. And the people who uh, uh, are listening right away assume that whatever the person cites is... Oh, well, that, that's the scripture for it. Without even examining 
what the verse actually says. So what I want to do is I, I want you to look at this verse. Give it some, some face time, as we say. Make sure that you don't uh, walk away with a wrong understanding from this verse. And, and many people have said that this verse is speaking in tongues, I'll just say. And we just want to cover it to see if it is in fact tongues or just what it is. Romans chapter, Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. And it begins this way. In the same way, the Spirit helps our weaknesses. Oh, let's, I'm sorry. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So now, this, this verse has been cited many, by many people to say, hey, this is tongues. Do you have a comment? I think the King James even puts it better. Mm-hmm. Um, 8.26. Read that from the King James. It says it's the modern King James. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Mm-hmm. Right. So now let's look at this now. Here we are. Uh, people have cited this. Now, we're going to take it just, you know, there are reasons why this does not uh, refer to speaking in tongues. And we just want to make sure we understand. In the same way, the Spirit helps our weaknesses. So first of, it, first of all, it is a matter of weakness. When we are weak, we don't. And then it says, "For we do not. What weakness is it? Well, we do not know what we ought to pray for. That's a weakness. We don't know that there there may be uh, attacks, spiritual attacks upon us. There may be all sorts of things going on, but we don't even know what to pray for, you know, intelligently. So, so here, then that's a weakness, isn't it? So, and and here here's what the spirit." One of the ministries of the Spirit does in our behalf. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us. Now, if I intercede for somebody, uh, that means I'm going to bat for that person. Let's say through intercessory prayer, I see that Larry has a problem. And I, I can obviously see that Larry has a problem. Maybe Larry doesn't see it. Maybe Larry's unsaved. Whatever it is, I can see spiritually that Larry is missing the mark in some area. So what do I do? I go to the Lord in behalf of Larry. I pray to the Lord. I intercede on his behalf. Now, uh, that's exactly what intercession is. It, is. it is going to the Lord on behalf of somebody else. Like Moses interceded for the children of Israel. What did he do? He stood between God and them and said, God, I'm, I'm on my knees for these people. I know they're stubborn and, and, and they're turning away from you and they're unfaithful. And, but he interceded for God. So now did the people themselves intercede? Did, did they pray to God? No. They're weak. They don't even know. So they're not praying. So who's praying? The Spirit. In this case, the Spirit prays for the weak saint. Now this is a ministry that we ought to be proud of. And know that the Holy Spirit is working for us even when we don't even know it. So God is doing things in your life, man, you, you have no idea. And the Holy Spirit is behind this, this ministry. Where He sees, He knows where you're weak and He takes that to God in your behalf. Let's see what it says. Uh, we don't even know what the, we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself, the Holy Spirit Himself, he, what does He do? He intercedes for us, not in us, not through us but for us, on our behalf. right? And how does He do it? With groans that words cannot express. Cannot express. Or, as the King James says, which cannot be uttered. Now, if these, whatever, now who's the Spirit interceding to? We should just make, get all the players out and on the table. All right? He's interceding to the Father. He ain't, he's not interceding for you, or to you, is He? No. So he's behind the scenes. He sees the weakness. He knows that you don't know, right? So he goes and takes up the battle to the Father. So he intercedes to the Father. That's why it says um, he intercedes for us. So we know it's for us 
but it's to the Father. It's on our behalf. And here's the language that he uses. With groans that words cannot express. Now, what, what language is that? I don't know. Right? I don't know. Whatever language that is, it's between God the Holy Spirit and God the Father. It is not between me, God the Holy Spirit, and the Father. It's about me, but it's, it's to God the Father from God the Holy Spirit. And it's a language that words cannot express. Or words that cannot be spoken by any human being. So you can't say this is tongues, can you? Because if you say this is tongues, then that would be the very opposite of what tongues actually is. What is tongues? That is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, giving you the ability to speak in a language, a foreign language, which you do not or have not learned. He gives you the utterance. See, Acts 2.4. Let's read it real quick. Hold your finger there. We're coming back there. Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. So here it is. Um, all of them, and this is in the beginning, when they actually began to speak in tongues for the first time, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They began to speak in other tongues. What's other tongues? Languages. As the Spirit enabled them or gave them utterance. The same word is used, except here the Spirit gives them utterance. Over here, it says that no man can utter. So, now, tongues is the Spirit given the ability for you to utter it. Here, the Spirit intercedes on our behalf to the Father, and He intercedes in a language that no man can even speak. See? This is not tongues at all. He intercedes for the saints. Oh, I might, I might be skipping. Let me just go back. For us with groans which words cannot express. Now let's go to 27. 27. And he who searches the hearts. Who's that? The Father. The Father. He knows the heart. He who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes. And here it is again. For the saints in accordance with God's will. He intercedes for us. Who's, who's the saints? The weak ones. We don't even know what we ought to pray. This is not a saint praying. This is, is a saint in ignorance of his weaknesses and not even praying because he doesn't know that he needs to pray. So, so we have God on our side. Now, if, if, just to make sure you understand, if you go down later in the chapter, we also see somebody else interceding for us. And who is it? Um, yeah, it's Christ. Look at verse, we'll start at verse 32. Well, 33. Who will bring, this is 8.33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is what? Also interceding for us. What do you mean also interceding for us? Who else is interceding for us? God the Holy Spirit. Right? So if he's... Now, what, if Christ is talking to the Father... Now, nobody thinks that Christ is speaking through them, do they? You should, in tongues, right? You don't, you don't believe that. So, so that that's, doesn't even make sense. No, I've never heard anybody say that's tongues. So why would we take that and say that, uh, and, and, and understand this intercession as tongues when... It's also, that word means the same way, way the Holy Spirit intercedes to the Father, so also Christ intercedes to the Father in our behalf. Do you know that Christ is interceding to the Father in your behalf? How do we know? The Bible tells us. The Bible tells us. <laughs> but other than that, you don't, know. you don't know. Do you know what He's saying? No. You don't know what He's saying either. But yet, Christ is praying for you. And why would Christ need to pray for you? Because you need prayer. There's, there's a battle going on that's raging. And Christ, is even though the work is done, He's still at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. Isn't that great to know? That God is working behind the scenes for you right now. And these two ministries, the ministry of the Holy Spirit and intercession, and Christ, who the risen Christ, standing to the right hand of the Father, also interceding on our behalf. But now here... Just remember this, it says, um, and I think about this, if God is for us, who then 
and be against us. Who? I mean, we got God. The, first, He saved us, and now you got God, the Holy Spirit, and and this is in the battle situation. That's why we we talk about this because now we're in the conflict. We're in the battle, and there may be times when it may look grim, where things are tough. There are tribulation and trouble in this world, and in those times, you need God to to, to intercede on your behalf, and He does it just like that. But for what we should know, first of all, back to 26 and 27, this is not speaking in tongues. Not at all. Is there any questions on that? Does anybody think it's speaking in tongues? Alright. So, Myers hit it on the head. I hadn't heard it that way, but the way you were reading it, I was there. Right. Now I'm really there because it says, not even uttered. You can't. It says you cannot utter it. So now, how are you going to turn that around and say you can utter it? And how do you even know what to utter? It says you don't even know what your weaknesses are. So it's not even through you, it's for you. It's interceding on your behalf. And that's where people have not read the text. They just like the words because their words seem mysterious. And and I think that's what they, they gravitate toward. All right. So let's do this. Let's move on now, but let's go ahead to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we will continue so that we can get to the true purpose for which God gave. Don't let that stop you from asking any questions or interrupting me You know, for anything you want. I'm right here. We'll take the time to dig in. 1 Corinthians what? 14, and we're go to verse 20. Now, everything we covered from last week, um, and this is where we want to pick up from, uh, the context of it is, I think we discovered and, and understood that tongues, without edification, has no value. It has no value. Now, we know that tongues was a legitimate spiritual gift. So, Because the question before was, in 1 Corinthians 13.8, we realized that tongues will cease at some point. Tongues are going to come to an end. And the, the big question for everybody is, when? Well, some people say, well, it doesn't come to end when we're, until we're in heaven. Well, we resolved that last week and understood that, um, according to 1 Corinthians 13, I believe it's the last verse, it says that these three remain. Remain as opposed to things that end. Some things are going to end. And what things are going to end? Tongues, knowledge, right? prophecy. Those are spiritual gifts that will end. Right? And so, and now, but now these three remain. What remains? Faith, hope, and love. Remains when? In eternity? No. We discovered that hope is not needed in eternity. Who hopes for what he already has? Right? So hope is something that we need now. Because hope motivates us to move on. We know that God has made promises to us, and we are absolutely sure that he will deliver on what he has promised. There's no question. We don't need hope in, in heaven. We already have what we... Faith becomes sight in heaven. Okay? So now, tongues will end. But when is the question? When will they end? Some people deny that they will ever end. But if you read the scripture here, it says that they will stop. And that is sometime during this church age. Now when? When? That's the question. So we're in, we went through chapter 14, and we know the tongues were still going at the time of writing, because Paul said, at the end of, toward the end of this chapter, do not forbid the speaking of tongues. So you, were, you could not stand up and say, we forbid speaking in tongues in this church. You couldn't do it at the time of writing, because uh, Paul was saying that the, the spiritual gift was still in place. So, when did Paul write? Well, we know Corinthians was one of probably one of the earliest books that was written. Even before a lot of the Gospels, I'm told, Corinthians, somewhere between 48 and 52, uh, A.D., 48 and 52, 1 Corinthians was written. And so this is one of the earliest books we have um, uh, in the New Testament, yes. So, uh, tongues were still going strong at this point. And so, but we want to, we want to begin First Corinthians 14, 20 then. Let's read it. And we went through all this and you, you know, uh, prior. Brothers, stop thinking like children in regard to evil. Uh, be infants, but in your thinking be adults. And we understood from that, that what does it mean in context to be thinking like children? 
It is abusing tongues as a spiritual gift, using them for a purpose that it was never designed for. And how do we know? Because we saw Paul's examples earlier where people were using the gift and nobody was being edified. He gave all those practical examples. You're speaking into the air. Nobody understands you. What's the point of that? So then uh, he went in to say, I would you know, rather speak uh, five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Well, Corinthians were the opposite. So here, stop thinking like children in context means wise up. Understand the true purpose of tongues. He deals with that. And here he says, in the law it is written, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. What is that all about? Something happened a long time ago. <laughs> it is written, Old Testament, right? So now he's telling us, what tongues now? Uh, you know, he, he, this is the heart of the tongues chapter. He brings up this verse and says, in the law, brother, first he says, stop thinking like children, you know, in the law it is written, through men of strange tongues and the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Keep that in your mind. Let's go on to the next verse. Tongues then are a sign. Now, I like what the King James says. King James says, Wherefore tongues are for a sign. They're for. It tells you what tongues are for. That's interesting. And that's important for us to know. Tongues are for a sign. What do you mean, Paul, a sign? Well, let's let him say it. Not for believers, but for unbelievers. Okay. Now, we have to put this in context, because what are we talking about here? Now, first of all, he says, they're not going to listen, right? Well, let's just, just make sure we understand. He says, I will, through, through the strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, even after I do this, they will not listen to me. So, if they won't listen to God, then, you know, even after he does this tongues thing, something obviously has to follow, right? God says they're not going to listen. So who, what is this all about? We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 28 to begin to pick up the context of tongues here. Isaiah chapter 28. And let's look at verse... Oh, let me get there. Well, I think it's around 13, maybe 11. Yeah, we'll get to it. Isaiah chapter 28. And we, I'm, I'm just going to point out the context of the verse that Paul quotes in the heart of the tongues chapter. Look at verse 11, 28 verse 11. Now Paul is quoting from this, these verses. And he doesn't quote everything, he pulls what he wanted from those verses, but he's referring to the same situation. Very well then, verse 11, with foreign lips and strange tongues, God will speak to this people to whom he said this is and this is what he's saying this is the resting place let the weary rest and this is the place of repose but what but they would not listen they would not listen this is where Paul's coming from now do we know what people he's talking about because remember by tongue, by the tongue strange tongues and the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people. What people? Who's he talking about? Does anybody know? Unbelievers, um, unbelievers yes. But in context. Well, Jews. How do we know? Because Paul's... And here he's quoting Isaiah. And Isaiah is talking about Israel. God is addressing Israel in Isaiah chapter 28. Okay? So if Paul is quoting that, this is originally where tongues... Uh, started right here. So what we find is that Paul is quoting a prophecy in Isaiah about tongues. He's telling us that some that that he's going back to Israel to show you why God gave the gift. Now here it is. Let's read this. And first of all, we ought to understand that this was a very low point 
in Israel's history. They had become a nation of drunkards. And we can find that in the context. If we look at a couple verses, um, um, look at verse 5, Isaiah 28, 5, and we'll look forward. In that day, the Lord Almighty will be a glorious crown, a beautiful wreath for the remnant of His people. He will be a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment, a source of strength to those who turn the back, uh, turn back the battle at the gate. And these also stagger from wine and reel from beer. Priests and prophets stagger from beer. Now that's pretty bad. Even if, if the priest, just imagine if I'm up here and I'm drunk and I'm teaching you. That's, that's not good, right? <laughs> not good, right? Even the priests and the prophets are drunk. That's bad. So he says, and are befuddled with wine. They reel from beer. They're rocking back and forth. Right? They stagger when seeing visions. In other words, they're telling you, thus saith the Lord, but the <laughs> right? well, they're drunk and they're staggering. They stumble when rendering decisions. Obviously, when you drink too much, you don't make the best decisions. Right? Everybody knows that. And all the tables are covered with vomit. Now, wait a minute. That's pretty bad. I, would, I don't want to talk more about that because somebody might be eating and we don't want to disturb their, their appetite. All the tables. Just imagine this picture. God is saying, here, not just the people, but the leaders are, are in this state. All the tables are covered with vomit. Drunks. Smell. I mean... I said I wasn't going to talk about it. And then there was a, and there is not a spot without filth. Everywhere you turn, people are, it's just, well, I don't have to continue. Right, verse 9. Who is he trying to teach? To whom is he explaining the message? Right, how is God going to get his message to these people when the priests, the prophets, everybody is all drunk? Right, to children weaned from their, from their milk? To those just taken from the breast? In other words, I think God is saying here, he, he, he can only speak to the children. They're the only ones who could possibly hear what He's saying. Basically, He's saying this whole generation has gone astray. I'm going to have to look toward the children. You know, the, the, the little children wean from the breast. That, that's it. For it is, watch this in verse 10, it is do and do and do, rule on rule, rule on rule, a little here and a little there. Now this is a mock of God to these drunkards. And this, now we, we talk about this, you know, hear a little, study a little, precept upon precept, precept upon precept. But what this is, when you read it in the Hebrew, is a mock. But that sounds like a drunkard. Right? So he's mocking them, but he's telling them that they need to be studying precept upon precept, rule upon rule. That's how you need, you need to be organizing your thoughts. Verse 11, very well then, very well then, what do you mean? If that's the case, God is he's going to pronounce a judgment upon them because of this. And he says, with foreign lips and strange tongues, foreign lips and strange tongues. Well, what is that? It, that's the lips of foreigners. And Israel, what, the language they spoke, uh, they already knew what that was, but they are saying that, that foreign languages, God would use Gentiles and, or, or foreign languages to speak to this people. Who, who's this people? Israel. They're in such a horrendous state. He's going to use outside. Now, what? that turns the tables. Because guess what? Israel is supposed to be the one who goes out and teaches the other nations, the foreign nations. But look, they need teaching. God says, you know what I'm going to do? This is a sign to you. That, you know, judgment is coming. I'm going to have Gentiles or foreign language come and teach you the gospel. You need to hear the gospel. And you need to be taught. So this is God's people. And he says, um, let's, let's do, uh, speak to this people, Israel. Verse 12. To whom he said, this is the resting place. Who is he talking to? Israel. This is what they would say. This is the resting place. What is the resting place? He's talking about Christ. Christ is the resting place. Let the weary rest. This is exactly what Christ said when He came. Come unto me, all ye who are laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he's, this is the rest He's talking about. And He says, uh, and, and this is the place of repose, relaxation. All right? But they would not 
listen. They would not listen. So even though God does this, He speaks to them in a foreign languages, right, in foreign tongues, and, and yet, and they're in such a horrendous state, a terrible state, they would not listen. Okay? So what happens? God is he's speaking to them, but they won't listen. What do you think? What do you think God's going to do? Let's continue to read. So then the word of the Lord to them will become, do, 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 and, do and do, do and do, rule on rule, little here, little there, so that they will go and fall backward and be injured and snared and captured. Notice, this is a judgment that God is placing upon them. Why? Because they would not listen to God. It's just like if you told your child, I need you to clean up that room. I need you to clean up that room. You come home, the room's not clean. What do you do? Do you tell them again? I need you to clean up that room. I need you to clean up that room. But then, what if, you know, you say, if you don't clean up that room by a certain time, there's going to be consequences. And then, when they go past that time, what then? What do you do? You got to give them the consequences. What if you don't give them the consequences? They'll keep on doing <laughs> Did it matter what your warnings were? Well, if God is warning people of something, and He's telling them, well, you know, I keep telling you, I keep telling you, I'm gonna give you a sign. Here's the sign. You're gonna be Gentile languages are gonna come, and if you still don't listen, something's gonna happen. Here's what's happening. He says that they will go and fall backward and be injured and snared and captured. These people. Well, when is this? Therefore, verse 14, let's continue on. We'll get more into context. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers. You scoffers. Listen to them. This is, this is what, who God is dealing with. Uh, the people He's dealing with. Scoffers, yes. People who mock and, uh, God and, and God's plan. right? Who rule this people in Jerusalem. Notice who He's talking to. Scoffers are the ones who rule the people in Jerusalem. That's horrible. Watch verse 15. You boast. We have entered into a covenant with death and with the grave and we have made an agreement. In other words, they're saying, God, we have a deal with God and He cannot touch us. He won't kill us. He won't take us away. He won't take our position away. He will not. That's what they said. We have entered into a covenant with death and the grave and have made an agreement. When the overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it, it cannot touch us. That's what they're saying. God's going to preserve us. For we have made a lie our refuge. Now listen, this is a lie. Why a lie? Because Christ came in their midst, demonstrated that He was the Messiah, and they refused to believe. And they stood on that. They crucified Him, even though He had done all those signs, wonders, and miracles. And yet, they stood and said that he was not the Messiah. And falsehood are hiding place. So verse 16, so this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone. Here's, here's where we know the time of this prophecy. We know it. There cannot be any shadow of a doubt that this is the time. Watch. See, I lay in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure Foundation. Now, who who is that stone? Christ. Are you sure? Is there any question about that? Peter even quotes that this is Christ is the chief cornerstone. So this stone that is talking about can't be referring to any judgment in Israel's history. You know, this is the fulfillment of this. They came and they rejected Christ. Watch this. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. Now, of course, he said that before. He said, this is the place of rest, remember? The one who trusts will never be dismayed. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. In other words, the justice is going to, Christ is going to have to be judged for the sins and the life that He lived on earth is the standard of righteousness that God accepts. Hail will sweep away the refuge, the lie, and the water will overflow your hiding place. And what will happen? Your covenant will de- with death will be annulled. In other words, you think you got it, that your position is so secure, but God says, no, no, that's not going to happen. You have rejected your Messiah. That's it. Your agreement with the grave will not stand. Which means, you've done this, and this is the great, if you look at the Jewish history, what's the worst thing they actually have done? Over all the things, you read in Isaiah and all the horrible things that Israel has done, the worst thing they have done 
has crucified their Savior, their Messiah. That's the worst. For that, they would receive the most severest judgment of all. And we're, we're going to talk about that. He says, It will not stand when the overwhelming scourge sweeps by. See, this is the judgment that comes upon Israel. It, right? You will be beaten down by it. As often as it comes, it will carry you away. Morning after morning, day after day, it will sweep through. This understanding of this message will bring sheer terror. God will deal with His people, no doubt. The bed is too short to stretch out on. The blanket too narrow to wrap around you. The Lord will rise up as He did in Mount Perizim, And He will rouse Himself as in the Valley of Gibeon to do His work. And listen to this. His strange work. What's a strange work? His strange work is when God has to judge His own people. He's the one who created the race of Israel. And yet, he's, usually he protects them from other nations. They have protection, divine protection. But what happens here? God has to come in and judge his own people. So, and his strange work and perform his task, his alien task. It's alien because it's not what you would expect, God. Yeah, he's going to have to judge his people. Now, stop your mocking or your change will become heavier. The Lord, the, the Lord Almighty has told me, what? Underline this, of the destruction decreed against the whole land. The destruction decreed. This is a prophecy of judgment. God is saying it's going to happen. We knew about it way back 700 years before Christ walked the earth. 700 years. The destruction decreed. That's what this is about. So from there, I want to go back and let's look at Luke. Go to Luke 21. It's been a while since I looked at these passages. Luke chapter 21. Now I want to talk here. Let's go to verse 20. Jesus is talking. Right? Here's what He says. Verse 20. And we knew we were talking about Jerusalem, weren't we? In the Old Testament. You saw it says Jerusalem. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies. Now first of all, we got to note that Jesus is here. Remember, He is the stone, bless you, that the builders rejected. He has become the chief cornerstone. He's the one who uh, brings this, you know, this prophecy and is telling you about it right here. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation, the destruction we saw in Isaiah, is near. Then he gives instructions to those who are believers. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the city get out. And let those who are in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of what? Vengeance. Punishment. Vengeance. And what? What does the rest of that say? I want you guys to say it. And fulfillment of all that has been written. And fulfillment. Well, where did we read about this destruction decree? Way back there in Isaiah 28. Didn't we? we read the whole context there. And then, look, look at verse 23. How dreadful it will be in those days. Isaiah said, the, the message, the understanding of this message will bring sheer terror. Remember we read that? Jesus is saying the same thing. How dreadful it will be in those days. For pregnant women and nursing mothers, there will be great distress in the land. And wrath against what? This people. Who's this people? Jews. Unbelievers. No. <laughs> See? See, when we talk about this people, can you just say unbelievers? No. It doesn't fit, does it? Who's, who's this people? Israel. Jews, right? These are specific. So, they will be against this people. Not against all unbelievers. This people. There's a special judgment. And why? Because these people rejected the Messiah. 
Look at verse uh, 24. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners. Well, first of all, they will fall by the sword. We saw that. They will fall back. That means be dead. The sword will kill them. And they will be captured. And that is exactly what Jesus is saying here. They will fall by the sword, dead. How many? Now, in the siege of Jerusalem, when did this happen, by the way? This was a prophecy Jesus prophesied. But when did it actually happen? You guys are going to have to help me. 70 AD. Remember, under Titus, the Roman general, he led the siege against Jerusalem. This is history. It's a matter of history. And he surrounded Jerusalem just like Jesus said. Just like he said. In August of 70 AD. You can go back and read it. He surrounded Jerusalem and he besieged the city, the walls. And we have actually some quotes that we can, uh, in, the, in the paper, I have it here, about how Josephus quoted and said, Wow, God must have been on our side. Because how would we get on through these walls and these great fortifications? Because remember, Jerusalem was on a hill. Not only was it on a hill, but they had huge walls going up. So how was anybody going to get into the city? So, so what ends up happening here is... How many people does Josephus, the uh, Jewish historian, record died in the siege? Two million seven hundred thousand Jews died. Now, when's the last time you've seen two million seven hundred thousand die? I mean, in this such is such a close time. The only other time we can think about is the Holocaust. Right. Right. That was horrible. I mean, that was... And this was horrible as well. 2,700,000. And then it says, he says, 90,000 of them were led away as captives, slaves. So, we're talking tremendous tragedy for the city of Jerusalem. And not only that, they destroyed the temple, which the Jews, everybody prided the Jews. Oh, they, every time they prayed, you know what they prayed toward? The temple. And the, the temple would glisten in the, in the sun because of the gold used in the bricks to build the temple. So why did they, Jesus said, not one stone upon another uh, will be left that will not be thrown down. Why? Because when they besieged it, they stole all the gold. They wanted to recover the gold that was used in the buildings. So that's why he meant not one stone left upon another. Because that's, that's the judgment. And that's what happened to Israel. Can you imagine? This is one of the most biggest events in, in the ancient world, the destruction of Jerusalem. Because it was a prized city. They destroyed it and killed many, many people, as we just pointed out. So watch this. Um, where are we? Verse, it would be dreadful. We, we did that. Verse 24. This is 21-24. They will fall by the sword. We saw that will be taken as prisoners to all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until... The times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles. So now, let's go back to 1 Corinthians. Because now we have a lot of context of what Paul is talking about here when he mentions this verse. It means something. He mentions tongues, which we are understanding now of what God is going to do with tongues and why He would give tongues in the first place. Right? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 21 again. And let's read it with the knowledge we have and the understanding. Here, verse 21, he says, In the law it is written, Through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. What people? Israel. What's he going to be telling them? Except the Lord, your, your Messiah, you crucified him. And, and now you, you ought to be, he's given them another chance. Really. They crucified him. Because when did tongues happen? Pentecost. Pentecost. And that's after Christ was crucified. After he was rejected. So God is giving them grace before he finally comes down and judges them. So Christ died around AD 33 or somewhere around there. And the destruction of Jerusalem happened in AD 70. So for 40 years or approximately... God gave this gift of tongues to what? Warn them of this impending destruction to come. So this is what it says. Um, uh, I will speak to this people, but will they listen? No. Well, who's he talking to really? The rulers. The leadership. Remember? 
He's telling them, you know, they were the ones who scoff are scoffers. He says, I will speak to this people, but they will not listen. Not everybody turned a deaf ear to God. Many people did listen, didn't they? Many re repented of what they had done. They, had, they knew that they crucified the Lord. Look at those people in Acts. Where they said, they knew that they were the very ones who were in the street talking about crucify him, crucify him. And Peter came and preached in the power of the Spirit, displayed the gift of tongues, and these same people, it says, were pricked in their hearts because of what they had done. So they said, well, what should we do? What did Peter say? Repent. That's what, change your mind and now believe in Christ. That's what that means. So here, he says, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me. So even though some people heeded this warning that God gave, the majority did not. It was not enough to turn aside the wrath of God from the destruction which was decreed against the whole land. So it had to happen just like that. So now when we read verse 22, we see then, tongues then are a sign. Well, what's a sign here in this context? It's a warning, isn't it? It's a warning. And, and if tongues are a sign in the sense of what? People who are not listening... God's going to get, I'm going to give you the sign. <laughs> and if you still don't listen, then what? Destruction. Destruction decreed. And it's exactly what happened. God warned them. He spoke to them in tongues. And guess who was at Pentecost? Who was at Pentecost? Jews. <laughs> and those who were converts to Jews. In fact, there were, Gentiles weren't even mentioned in Acts chapter 2 where tongues were displayed. Now, Gentiles later did experience a Pentecost and did have hear tongues. But here in Acts 2, when they first were displayed, Jews, God said, just like He said, I will speak to this people. But they wouldn't listen. And what happened? How do we know they didn't listen? Because of what happened. 70 AD, Titus did come in. Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled. He did destroy Jerusalem, no doubt. So now, tongue, that's what they're for. Tongues are a sign. Not for believers. Well, believers who understand the message believe in Christ already. It's not for them, right? But for unbelievers. Now, who are unbelievers here in context? Jews. 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 That's who it's for. Those who did not listen. They got the warning and they did not listen. They're unbelievers. Are they going to be believers? Are they going to be believers? Yeah. No. No, they're not. <laughs> How do I know? Because it says that in the previous verse. It says, uh, "Yet, but even then, they will not listen to me. They're not going to be believers. So it's to warn them. It's grace. God is gracious. He knows they're not going to listen, but He still speaks to them, doesn't He? He still gives them another chance. He must really love them. I mean, just imagine if it was you. What would you do? You already knew that they wanted to right. waste my time. <laughs> You'd say, you know what? You guys have crucified. I sent my son. You killed him. Now what? You'd say, you know what? It's over. It's over. But it's not over. It's still not over for Israel. Israel, Israel will be restored in the future. It's not over. God is a gracious God. Remember we read earlier in uh, First Romans, not First Corinthians, but Romans chapter 11, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. God called Israel, and He does have a purpose, and He will fulfill it. But right now, what, what's the state of Israel? Israel will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Right? So, so now, I want to just finish this. So tongues in... Are for, um, uh, are for uh, tongues then are sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Then it says prophecy, however, is for believers. In other words, and he's getting back to the, he tells you the true purpose of tongues. Then he gets back to the context again about edification. Prophecy is for us. When we get together in the church, we ought to be focused on the gift of prophecy, not tongues. Tongues are, don't edify people. Prophecy. Prophecy is better. And what's prophecy? That's God. Use, I'm actually prophesying now. But there are two aspects of prophecy. One where God gave the gift in order to write, put down in Scripture what God's will, purpose, and plan 
happens to be. We call that foretelling and so forth. And then there's foretelling, me expounding on what God has written. I still have a form of prophecy here where we are being edified by the word of God that he has already given. We stand on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. That's a foundational gift, prophecy. So, he's saying prophecy is a better way to go. Don't go to tongues. Tongues are not edifying. So, so now, let me ask you, after we've gone through all of that, let's make some applications. If God gave the gift of tongues to warn Israel of an impending judgment, if He did this, and Israel will not listen to this judgment, to this warning, and did not, right? And God did judge Israel, just like He said, in, in fulfillment of all that has been written, Jesus says. Would He still need to warn Israel today? Think he would? He would still need to? <laughs> Spoken as like a true child. But no, the, qu the answer is no, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. Logically speaking, I mean, it's just like to say um, if God gave the warning, they did not heed the warning, the destruction decree did happen. Why would he still need to warn them of a destruction decree? Already it already happened. He already destroyed, okay? <laughs> he already destroyed Jerusalem. Where is Jerusalem now? Jerusalem should be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles. We're in that period now. So he gave this judgment to warn them because they rejected their Messiah. Right? That's the final thing that they did. It was a last straw. That's not to say, they, as I already said, they will be restored later. But now... The time of Gentiles is not fulfilled. Is Israel a believing nation? No. Is Israel a nation under God? No, they're not. They're still unbelievers there. Now, does God still need to give a warning? So now we know what tongues are. With men of other tongues. I'm going to speak. Well, I'm going to give a gift to people to speak to them in foreign languages. Because this is fulfilling the warning. So let me answer it for you, because we're moving past our time. Tongues ended in 70 A.D. When what they were warning about finally came to pass. They ended. So nobody, from my understanding, has spoken in tongues since 70 A.D. Tongues have ended. August of 70 A.D. If you want to put an actual date on it. So what these people speak in then? Well, what's going on today? What, what, what are people doing when they speak in tongues? That's a good question. Now, first of all, we can know that it, whatever they're doing, it is not what the Bible says is the true purpose for the gift of tongues. It is not what that says. And they have manufactured uh, other scriptures, as we've already pointed out, the one in Romans 8, 26 and 27, to say that they're speaking in tongues, which does not refer to speaking in tongues. They've also used 1 Corinthians 14 to say they're speaking in a private language when 1 Corinthians 14 is all about public worship, public prayer, public praise. It is not about private worship at all. In fact, it doesn't even mention private worship. As we'll, We can continue later, but I think we're just about done. And so, what is it? I would say it is manufactured. Most of... Well, you know what? I don't have to say what it is. I could just say what it is not. It is not the gift of tongues that God... Because God the Holy Spirit is not giving the gift of tongues anymore. He's not. So, whatever it is, it is not uh, honoring to God and it is not something that God is encouraging us to do. It is a distraction in the Christian world today, I believe. Now, you, for us to go on and, and talk about um, it's this or it's that, it doesn't benefit us any because people are, will be emotional about this subject. Uh, people take uh, you know, great exception to, you know, because they have people who they respect and revere who speak in tongues. And as soon as you say something about tongues, you know, you're the enemy. 
So it doesn't benefit us to, you know, and people, I've heard people say, oh, that's satanic. What? Don't say that. Don't say that to people. That's not, uh, uh, first, it's not wise. And if anybody ever said anything you were doing was satanic, you'd, you'd take exception as well, wouldn't you? <laughs> so, we, we don't want to get into what it is. Now, you can place whatever you want, you know, but I'm just saying, um, to, to, to some extent, we, we have to, you know, understand that this is something that people are doing and it's sweeping. It, it didn't happen all throughout church history. It just revived around the early uh, 20th century. So we should just remember, you know, we have no record of anybody speaking in tongues for centuries and centuries. And then all of a sudden in the 20th century early, in the early 1900s or, or, 18s, or late 1800s, pe- people had this phenomenon that uh, they began to exercise and they said it was speaking in tongues. But uh, again, as I said, the way people are using it today, even when it was legitimate, even when you know God was sanctioning it, they are abusing it. Look at we'll just look at one one or two more verses. Even in the church service, you tell me if this is not happening, right? Look at verse thir- twenty-seven, right. 20, uh, 14 and twenty-seven. Right. Well, let's read twenty-six first. What then shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? It's confusion, right? All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. In other words, the use of those things is not just, you know, you just did it. The use is that you build up the church. You strengthen. People have to understand what's going on. Verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, watch this. Two, or at the most three, should speak at one time. See, and that's at, at one church service, at the most three people can speak in tongues. That's it. No more. Paul is laying down the rules. Now, you think people are following these rules today? Who claim that they're speaking in tongues? You think they listen to what Paul said? And first of all, and then. He's not finished. And someone must interpret. There's no question. You cannot speak in a church in tongues and nobody interpret. That's out. You cannot do that. And this is what Paul's saying the rules are. People are not even following these rules. I'm here, I go to, I'm, I'm telling you, I've been to churches, 10, 15, 20 people at the same time speaking in tongues. So what is that? It's a violation of the rules right here. I don't know what they said. Nobody ever interpreted it. He's saying that first you've got to do it one at a time. So that means, let's say, in this church, in this church service, tongues were a legitimate, right? Larry would get up and he could speak in tongues if he had a word from the Lord. Someone would have to interpret what Larry said. Then, maybe uh, Des Moines could get up and begin to speak in a tongue. Somebody would have to interpret what Des Moines said. And then Bill could get up and speak in a tongue. Somebody have to interpret what Bill said. But then, guess what? Nobody else can get up and speak in tongues in that service. Nobody. That's it. At the most, he said. He says one, maybe two. At the most, three. No more than that can speak. All right. So then he does the same thing with the other ones, right? He says... Um, Look at verse uh, 29. Two or three prophets should speak, and the other should weigh carefully what is said. See, they don't have to interpret that. They already know what he's saying. But they've got to still weigh it. Right? They had other gifts. Gifts of discernment. Right? Make sure that what he was saying was of God. And if the revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. See, order must prevail. Right? For you can, you can all prophesy in turn, one at a time. Right? He's laying down rules. So that everyone may be instructed and what? Encouraged. See, that's the most important thing when it comes to these exercising. You've got to be built up. Look at this verse 32. And this is where people, this is important. The spirits are the, of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. Now watch this. You know what people, and I heard this on the radio, I'm not, I'm not meaning to mock or make fun, but a lady called in a radio talk show, and she said 
that she got fired from her job. And the reason why is because she would just start blurting out speaking in tongues and her employer couldn't, you know, told her that, uh, you know, we can't have that here. And, he, and she couldn't stop it. She said, God the Holy Spirit is making me do this. I can't stop speaking in tongues. So she was calling this show to find out that she have any rights. Can, you know, I'm doing this for religious reasons, aren't they? You know, don't we have freedom? You know, the guy told, you know, you know whatever he told, I don't remember. But that was her point. And guess what this says? No, that's not true. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. You can be quiet. You don't have to. God the Holy Spirit doesn't get a hold of you and make you blurt out tongues. You hear people, I couldn't help myself. I just had to say it. No, you can control what you say. God is saying when people get together in a church service, it ought to be order. Right? I can wait until Larry finishes speaking. I don't have to cut Bill off. I can wait until he finishes a sentence. And this is what God is trying to tell people in a church service. Remember, we don't have any instructions about tongues outside of a church service. All we have is instructions for tongues in a church service. Can, can there be uses of tongues outside church? I'm sure. I'm sure there can. But he's saying, in a church service, this is how you ought to conduct it. This is how you ought to do it. But now, we also understand that tongues, uh, the use of tongues has expired based on the purpose. The purpose is to warn Israel. So now you might say, well, the purpose of tongues is evangelism. Right? That's what tongues are for. They're, we want to get the message out to people who don't understand. That's not what God did. That's not the reason why He gave tongues. And He says, when you read it, even then they're not going to listen to me. Well, that's not a poor way, way of evangelizing when people are not going to listen. Right? You want people to listen to you. But here, these people, stubborn, stiff-necked, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, as Stephen says, will not listen. They, they covered their ears, and they ran, and they grabbed Stephen, and they stoned him to death. And all he was doing was giving them the gospel. Giving them the gospel. Now, he wasn't speaking in tongues. It didn't say, it didn't say he was. But in Acts, we find others did actually speak in tongues. Tongues was used. Now you don't find tongues in any epistle at all after 1 Corinthians. No epistle even mentions tongues at all. I'm talking, you read every one of them. Every letter in the New Testament, you find no uh, reference to tongues at all. So, it's, it's very, and the very references we do find are negative. They're negative. Paul said it was the least of the spiritual gifts even when it was available. So people who did it thought, but you know what? The church had it backwards. They thought it was the greatest. Paul had to tell them it was the least. So we don't want to follow the Corinthians and their folly. We want to f follow the Spirit. And the, f the Spirit does not uh, lead us today to speak in tongues. So, And, and, and this is what, what we, we've come with. Now there's a lot more we could cover. Um, how God is a God of order and not confusion. I see today confusion because of tongues. That's exactly what I see. I don't see this bringing together the body of Christ. I think, I think it divides. It creates spiritual uh, 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 giants in, in these churches. People who can do this, they say, wow, wow, so-and-so can do that, and the Holy Spirit must really have him, but I can't. Okay. So what does that make you? <laughs> right. I mean, you can't speak in tongues, but he can. What, what does that say? Well, I'm, I'm nothing. He's something. He must be something. I wish I could do that. Right? So, but that's not the purpose of the gift of tongues. It was never the purpose. You can read 1 Corinthians 13. He tells you, if I can do all these things, but I don't have love, I am nothing. So, we ought to be thinking about what does endure. Faith, right? Faith is reference to the gift of not the gift of faith, but what faith is, what it, what it focuses on, and that's Bible doctrine. Love. Love is a problem-solving device. And hope. Hope is what motivates us. Why do you get up in the morning in the first place? It's because of hope. Hope drives your destiny. So those are the things we ought to be focused on. And we got to close, actually. I'm sorry. So we're going to... You know what we'll do? Next week we'll wrap up if you have questions. Or, you know, you can maybe bring them Sunday or even after. We'll talk more. But we must close. And um, write your questions down. Be specific.
you know, I'm, you know, you don't have to, but I'm, I'm saying it's, it's going to benefit you even more if you write those down so that we can address those. We want to clarify anything we have not covered. Uh, so let's stand as we close. I'm sorry we don't have more time. Uh, but hopefully this topic, we have shed more light on it. We also have a paper that was written. I wrote this paper maybe 10 years ago. You can read that. that this should reiterate for you all the things and, and bring the scriptures out uh, that maybe I may have overlooked passages or more analogies that might have helped. You could read the paper and you can get a greater uh, insight. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. And um, if you don't like the paper, mark it up in red and show me w where I've erred. And, and I certainly will, will be receptive to want to correct you know, what I've written. If I've twisted scripture or I've taken it out of context, please show me. Yes? Did you revise the Mother's Day? Oh, not yet. Not yet. I'm sorry. But I will. I can. I, I will now that you mentioned it. So let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to come together tonight. Lord, you uh, have been so good to us. And we are so thankful that you have given us your word. We pray, Lord, as we have approached such a difficult topic, that we have not offended anybody uh, or hurt uh, by the message that we have brought. But some may be disappointed in us or uh, for the stand, but Lord, we know that we have to stand on what your word teaches. And the word is truth. The word is reality. And Lord, we want truth. We want what really is. We want what your opinions are. We want to defer to your knowledge and wisdom. So we thank you, Father, for the word and the clarity, just as you said in 1 Corinthians 12. Brethren, I would not have you ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. You have given us the knowledge that we seek. So we thank you for answering the questions that were on the table. And we, Lord, as, as there be more questions, we pray that you give us wisdom. And that you will answer those questions from the Word. Thank you, Father, for the group that has come tonight and their eagerness uh, and willingness to learn these things. We pray that as we go forward that we will not let this rest, but we will take it up and be Bereans and study this out so that we know for ourselves this message. For this we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.